right, welcome to episode number three of the Urban Agorist podcast. My name is James. Today, I am joined by Josh Welsh of Pasture to Plate Processing. Thanks for joining me today, Josh. Why don't you introduce yourself, give us a better understanding of who you are and what you do. Hey, folks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I'm Josh Welsh. Uh, live down here in Texas. And uh, yeah, I have a mobile butcher service, uh, Pasture to Plate Processing. Um, I actually started out once I moved down to Texas about six years ago working for a, a deer processor and kind of cut my teeth there and worked my way up to where I was helping them uh, run a retail counter, uh, doing all those types of cuts and whatnot. And after a few years, I made a move to a more traditional brick and mortar processor doing, uh, you know, small scale. We worked our way up to uh, uh, doing USDA inspected kills and, and processing, but still on a small scale. And I had the idea for a few years to do a mobile slaughter type situation because we have a lot of people that would call in and ask for that. You know, they, they got an animal, they, they can't load, or a bull breaks a leg. You know, they can't take it at a process. They can't, if it can't walk off that trailer, they can't take it. And a lot of times those animals just go away. So I thought, man, if somebody could go out and help these people, that'd be great. Well, then the world got turned on its head this year with all this COVID stuff. And uh, the processors just got overwhelmed. A lot of the big plot processors shut down. Um, and all these big, you know, fair shows, you know, FFA shows and whatnot that normally go on in the spring just didn't happen. So you have all of these families that have raised this livestock, counting on taking it to the, sh the show, and it generally gets auctioned off after the show. Well, now they're stuck with the feed bill. So there's this huge demand for these small processors. And everyone around here is now to the point where they're booked out six months to a year on getting an animal in. And most folks can't afford to just sit and feed that animal. So I decided, well, there's never been a better time than this right now. People need this. So back in May, I stepped out of my job and I hit the road with just knives wow. and skills and my car. And uh, I said, I will go on site and I will slaughter your animals. As long as we have the right facilities there, we can find some interesting workarounds. Uh, I'll slaughter the animal, we'll chill it, I'll come back, set up, cut it, vacuum seal it, just like you took it to get custom processed. Now, the agorist side of that is it's the most minimal amount of government intervention in getting your meat that you have. At least yeah. in the state of Texas, we have something called the personal use exemption. So if you've got an animal and you process it yourself at home, and that never leaves a place, and it's only meant to feed you, your family, and unpaid guests, well, there's no inspection. The state has no involvement. Right. And I can tell you right now, if you try to get into you know, running a processor and you have the, the government involved, you have to deal with all their paperwork and whatnot. It gets very costly. Yeah. Very big, time consuming. big processors have like a full-time USDA inspector on staff, right? And that they, they, they do. And they're, they're a professional pain in your ass. Mm. It's, it, it's inviting the department of making you sad to come live with you. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> and it's like their job to find new things for you to have to buy or, or new procedures for you to have to implement or some new form for you have to fill out. So it, it becomes very costly and they have to pass that cost on down to the consumer as well. So, I mean, I have to get into some interesting situations to accomplish this uh, on site and I've been very lucky so far, but it's been an overwhelming uh, positive experience so far that people, people want this, people need this. And I'm hoping to grow it to the point where I actually have a large box truck set up with a processing room in the back mm -hmm. end and I can just come on site drop a portable cooler, come back, do everything there, and just have everything set up. But for now, I improvise a bit. 
I also do run uh, the Home Processing from Passion to Plate podcast, uh, which is mostly just me talking about my business or things that I've learned, you know, ways that you can process your own animals at home because Mm -hmm. there's so many people. And another part of what I do as my business is I will do consulting and I will do education. I'll come to you and train you how to process your animals. I'll teach you how to do this yourself because there's a lot of homesteaders who want to get into that. They want to be self-sufficient, but it's pretty intimidating, especially with cattle. Mm-hmm. You don't want to mess it up. That's a big animal. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of ins and outs. So I do that education angle. I've taken that to the podcast. And a lot of times it's just me on the road from job to job talking in the car. Um, I'm hoping to add more video elements to it over time. And uh, I've had a lot of requests for that. I've had people tell me I should do a DVD series or whatnot. Uh, the difficulty with that being it's really hard to do butcher work and film yourself. So I almost yes. need to have a videographer to do yeah. it. You know, yeah, I'm like, sure. I like my hand. It's kind of hard to cut up a chuck roast with yeah. one hand. Dude, on it, it, I, I know my way around the kitchen, but even even just trimming the fat off a chuck roast is hard. I mean, you know, I I I lose a lot of meat doing that. So right. uh, I can't. definitely ima- an element of skill. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so how did, uh, what, what was your very first job in the industry? How did you get started? Uh, I actually, years ago, before I, I lived up North, um, years ago, most of my jobs right out of high school and during college and whatnot were in grocery stores. And I did mm-hmm. a little bit off and on helping out with a like, meat department. I'd stock some hamburger and stuff now, and then, but I never really got involved in that meat side. Uh, and then I'd stepped away. I did the college thing, tried to get into a career in electronics engineering, decided it wasn't for me, came back. To doing this and that. I ran a, a jack of all trades handyman business for a while and then packed up and moved down here about six years back. That's when I said, no, I need to find some work for now. I'll take some a seasonal jobs so I'll figure out what I want to do down here. Maybe I'll start a business up again. Well, there's a place just down the road for me that does a bunch of deer processing. They're a small little family butcher shop and they do deer processing in the fall. They'll hire in seasonal help just to help unload the deer, package sausage, stuff like that. I could go on there and, you know, was helping them out, kind of took to it. They figured out I knew how to use a knife and uh, started training me to help cut for the case. Uh, year down the line, I'm, I'm one of two butchers there. I'm, you know, a closing manager. And, uh, you know, I, I learned, I thought at that point that I really knew what I was doing too. Mm-hmm. Man, I could cut ribeyes, I could cut T-bones. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm a badass, you know. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have a damn clue. <laughs> but, uh, one thing led to another. I got tired of the workplace there and another place opened up down the road that they were primarily doing deer processing, but got into um, putting in a kill floor and doing custom processing. I moved over with them right as they were putting this kill floor in and uh, kind of got in from the ground floor there. Started learning, you know, with them how to cut hanging beef, pork. I ended up running the kill floor. And uh, we worked our way up to where we were doing USDA inspected as well, where we would have the inspector come in on those days. We didn't do it full time, but we did it uh, a couple of days a week. You know, they, they drive in an hour or two, spend the day with us, mostly out there with me. They've got to be present for the entire time uh, for the kill. And that's what's required for that meat to be marked to be able to be resold. And uh, I, I learned all the ins and outs of that. And that's what I did up until, well, back in May. We all know one of the easiest ways to start gaining self-sufficiency is to grow our own food. Whether you're an urban agorist living in the city or an urban agorist at heart living on your homestead out in the country, you need seeds. Unique heirloom seeds are becoming endangered. 
90% fewer varieties of seeds are planted today than just two generations ago, and just a handful of large corporations control the majority of our seeds. Seeds are disappearing all the time, and they're being replaced by cookie-cutter varieties that are bred for profit, not for flavor, robustness, yield, and certainly not the unique needs of your garden. Whether or not you're already gardening or saving seeds, I invite you to join me at the Online Global Seed Summit from November 17th through the 20th to revolutionize your understanding of seeds and the role they play in your and our collective future. To learn more about the Global Seed Summit, head to urbanagorist.com summit. When you sign up for the Global Seed Summit, you will connect with a global community of people who are committed to a healthier future. Now more than ever, people are beginning to realize the importance of taking control of their own food secure future. Take control yourself at the Global Seed Summit. Head to urbanagorist.com summit to sign up today and I'll see you there. Tell me about the mobile processing. What's the, so first of all, how do people find you? Well, I do have a website, passionateplateprocessing.com. I've done some advertising on uh, on Facebook and Craigslist and stuff like that, especially okay. when I started off. And I'm not a huge fan of Facebook, but I will say it's probably brought me more business than anything else yeah, so for far. Sure. Uh, there's a, a, a huge customer base there. Uh, actually, getting into a lot of the little homesteading groups and, and local farm-to-table groups and whatnot, and uh, especially during this time when people are looking for processing mm. and just getting into having conversations with people has been a huge huge thing but now it's to the point where it's really more word of mouth than anything i've gotten busy enough and i've got some cu- some customers that are doing enough routine work with me too that i've actually stopped advertising for the most part i'll, I'll maybe put up an ad now and then but i'm to the point where i've kind of got to be picky about my customers because mm-hmm. i don't always have time so all right once you're once you're on site what's the what's the process look like um say someone just has an extra steer. I, 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 I guess I don't really even know how that works. Um, okay. A steer that they well, would have probably auctioned off. What are they doing? What are they doing when they first find you and you show up and you say, Hey, I'm here to kill your animal well, and slaughter it for you. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I tell you what, that's always the most interesting part because it's, it's interesting when people, when, when I show up, people's impressions are, are all over the map, but you, uh-huh. you don't know what to expect when you, some guy online says, hey, I'll come to your house and kill your animal for you. You know, you don't know what you're getting into. And I'll show up. I'll try to be, uh, you know, uh, give a professional appearance. And uh, they're always a little skeptical that they see me start to work. And they realize really quick, oh, he knows what he's doing. And then the whole thing changes. And they're really interested. They want to be involved. They want to learn along with me. So uh, the way it generally works, I'll, the customer will reach out and I'll make sure that it's something that I can actually help them with. I'll explain the process to them the two biggest hangups that we have because I don't have the facilities right now to provide mm-hmm. this are we need a way to cool the animal and we need a way to hang for skinning. If it's something small like a hog or whatnot, we can get by with putting in an ice chest for a couple of days. I can bring uh, a fold out ladder with a, a hoist on it and everything, pack it up. But if you've got a steer, you pretty much need to have a tractor on hand or a hoist or something that we can skin it with. It's usually not the big, too big of a problem because if you're raising cattle, you've probably got a tractor or right. your neighbor does something like that. Cooling it, that's a different story. I'm lucky enough, I've got about three or four customers that actually have walking coolers or oh. have said, you know, I want to do five or six steers a year. So they put in a walking cooler because it benefits them to do so. But we've gotten creative in other situations. I've had emergency calls where hey, this animal broke a leg and it's, it's either I shoot him and let him lay or you come out and we do something. Well, we 
put loaded up an ice chest and the guy probably spent hundred dollars in ice over five days icing mm-hmm. it down i came back and we mostly turned it into burger but he saved that animal what's worked really well though uh in several situations i've actually got one that i'm going friday to finish up if people have a couple extra chest freezers like deep freezers i can put a temperature regulator on those that will hold that at 34 degrees just like a walking cooler it just requires me to break the animal down into smaller sections mm-hmm. for it to relax and age and I've, I've had those little, uh, you know, chest freezers sit there and hold 34 degrees for three months straight before just to make sure these little regulators work. It's a $35 regulator off of Amazon, you know, and somebody, I saw a video online of someone living in like a tiny house RV type thing. And that's what they did because they lived off grid on solar. That's how they kept the refrigeration because they're so efficient. Now, it, it just clicked. Well, I can do that for these people who don't have walking coolers. Yeah. And I've, I've probably done half a dozen steers that way. And it's actually worked out very well every time. Um, I've actually done a, a, a 200 pound hanging weight hog the other day. Someone had a chest freezer that was so big, you could, a grown man could lay down in it. And I'm like, well, this is awesome. So we just split it just like you would hang it. We laid it down and uh, it let it age for a week and it was perfect. Uh, so that's the process with that. Well, I'll show up. Uh, Every situation is a little different. Some people have a great place to pen that animal up and uh, I'll come in, you know, just like we would on a small processor. Uh, generally, you use a 22 or 22 Magnum, close range. Hit them in the right spot. They go down. You bleed them. And then the real work starts. Uh, every once in a while, you get in a situation where it's like, yeah, that's the bull that we need to kill. And he won't come in. And in that case, it's break out the deer rifle and yeah. they'll take him out. But we'll go out there and get them, uh, drag them back to where we're going to work. And at that point, we clean everything up. I skin it, uh, do whatever is necessary for the situation. If they've got a walk-in cooler and a place to hang it, at that point, once we've got it gutted, I will split it in half, quarter it. We'll hang it up there in quarters. Uh, if not, then I need to break it down as necessary. We get it cooled. And depending on the size of the animal and the customer's want, we determine how long it needs to age. It's generally a week to two weeks in most of the situations that I work in. And I just schedule the time to come back. So then I come back and I'll have a portable table, small grinder, okay. knives, portable saw, all that stuff. I just, I set up a little butcher shop right there. And a lot of times I'm lucky and they have like a nice air conditioned room for me to work in. Sometimes they don't. There's <laughs> days where it's hot and sweaty and I'm taking one piece of meat out at a time, working on this and getting it in the refrigerator, you know? But every situation is different, and I kind of like that because every day is an adventure. Uh, but the long-term goal, like I said, is to have basically a mobile processing room that I just take with me. Yeah. And uh, that, that's in the works, but it's a little expensive. So I got to save about 18 grand, I think, to get a get the truck platform to work off of. Yeah. And, uh, once that's I get to that point, though, it, it, that, that's going to make my that's going to make my time basically cut out all my setup and cleanup time by a half at least you know because right now i've got to literally load everything into the car take it unload everything set it up you know and cut clean my table off set up my packaging equipment package set up my grinding equipment you know it's a lot of just shuffling stuff around Uh, i've had some helpers come along with me every once in a while but i primarily work alone and uh you know i like that i like the freedom of it What's uh? What do you do with the waste? Is there is there a lot of um, like entrails and stuff like that? Right, right. There, 
there's always a good bit, especially on cattle. And uh, I, I always let the customer know right away from the beginning that that is their responsibility to oh. take care of. Okay. If I was, for one, for the most part, just to keep right now uh, fuel economy, that I sometimes take jobs or two or three hours drive. I, I drive a little Ford Focus. It's good on gas. Mm-hmm. I am not hauling away guts into the Ford Focus. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, well, most people who have a little bit of space, you know, and they've got they've got cattle out there, they have an out of the way place where they don't mind feeding coyotes. You know, or they'll oh, dig yeah. a hole, bury them. You know, and like I said, they'll use that tractor. Well, a lot of times we'll just gut that animal into the tractor bucket. Let them take that off. Some people want to save the hide, uh, so that's fine. But uh, I let them know from the beginning that that's, that's their responsibility to get rid of. Uh, even if I was in a position to haul it off, at that point, I've got to go take it somewhere and pay to dispose of it. So I'd have to pass that cost on to them. And then to do that, you also need a license with the state for uh, being a rendering company and blah, blah. I just don't want to play with that. Yeah. You know, it's not worth the trouble. Um, so is mobile processing, is that, is that a big, is that a big industry? Is it something brand new that just arose out of necessity or? It's not a big industry, but it's also not brand new, but it's, okay. it's very new around here and in a lot of places around the country. There's a few guys around doing it. A lot of guys who are doing it are just doing the mobile slaughter side and taking it to an established processor. Okay. You know, they'll just break that down and take those quarters in. There's very few that are actually doing the full thing on site the way that I'm doing. Um, but it, it is a thing. It's actually pretty common in the UK and in areas like Australia and New Zealand. And I've actually looked at a lot of the rigs and stuff that they have set up down there for inspiration on how I set my stuff up. Uh, it's been more commonplace there for longer. Uh, it's becoming more uh, popular, I think, out, out on the West Coast. And there's a huge demand for it in areas like uh, Montana and Wyoming. They don't have enough of them out there because some of those areas, they've got big ranches. And then, I mean, you can drive 50 miles and still be on one ranch. Right. You know, if, if, if someone can come out and do it, that's hugely beneficial to them. But where I'm at in Texas, I know of, I think, four people that are kind of in my niche. And I'm the only one I know of that does the full scale uh, packaging and everything. There's one guy I think that does, but he mostly works with uh, just wild game on some game ranches, as far as I know. Um, there's another individual that I've actually had on my podcast and interviewed because she ran into some issues with the state trying to bully her recently, but she just did the, uh, the mobile slaughter and basically allows, lets the customer take the home and package it and cut it how they want to. And there's another guy I think that's just getting started up by Dallas. But the beautiful thing about this is all these guys, whenever I can, uh, we'll reach out to each other and kind of communicate. It's, we're not really competing so much as we're helping each other out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've taken some jobs two or three hours away, but I don't want to have to. You know, I don't want to turn anyone down, but if I know there's a competent guy over there that can help the customer out, I will pass it on to him. And uh, it's been pretty cool that way. That And if one of us runs into a little bit of trouble, like, hey, I've got this guy showing up. He's trying to, like, tell me I need to have an infected rig and all this crap like that. You know, like, we'll have each other's back, you know. That, that that's a cool thing about being a small business in such a niche where there's a huge demand. We're not stepping on each other's toes. So it, it's, there's a lot of com- camaraderie there, I'd say. That's great. Uh, and so what, what region of Texas do you, do you cover? Uh, mostly Southeast Texas. Um, okay. I have gone up a little bit farther North in the East Texas, but uh, I'm out of Walker County uh, out by Huntsville. But uh, most of my customers are in that that region between like Houston College Station. But I've got a few jobs I do up by Dallas Tyler, 
Okay, great. Well, uh, we're reaching the end of our time. So why don't you go ahead and okay. tell everybody where you, where they can find you and uh, listen to your okay. podcast and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, you can find me on uh, pastureplateprocessing.com, all one word. And uh, you can also find my podcast. It's just podcast.pastureplateprocessing.com. And uh, if that's something you're interested in with, there, you know, just reach out to me there. I'm on uh, most of the social media and stuff too, Facebook, MeWe, all that fun stuff. Uh, I've been using Telegram quite a bit lately, so okay. you can find me on there. All those links are on my website. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, Josh. Have a great Thank day. Thank you much. Appreciate you. Have a good one. Thanks again to Josh Welch for joining me to talk about his business today. You know, I'm really fascinated by unique small businesses like Josh's, uh, especially ones that kind of lend themselves to agorist markets. So if you operate a business that could hypothetically be successful in a gray market or even a black market, drop me a line. You can email me at james at urbanagorist.com, or you can send me a message on Twitter. My handle there is jameslj. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode at urbanagorist.com slash three. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or YouTube or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Hit the like button, leave a comment or review, and most importantly, please share the show with your friends. Thanks for joining me today, and until next time, live free. This is the way.